Rewind. This is Dope Nostalgia. Hey everybody, it's Naomi. Welcome to Dope Nostalgia. This is episode 170. It's a very exciting episode too, and I, I know I always say that, but uh, the reason why I'm really excited this time is because this is the host of a podcast I've been listening to pretty much since its inception. It's called History of the 90s. Uh, you can find it out there everywhere you find great podcasts, of course. History of the 90s deals with a lot of events that happened in that decade, music, movies, real life, like political events, um, things like O.J. Simpson's trial. I mean, just pretty much like any major event that you can think of. Kathy Kinzora covers on History of the 90s. So it is my pleasure to invite her today to Dope Nostalgia. And I'm so happy we got a chance to talk. We always talk about a band or an artist. You know that. So she chose the Cranberries as our topic of discussion today. So in just a little bit, I'm going to introduce you to Kathy Kinzora. But first... Wikipedia moment. Please bear in mind that Wikipedia is not to be taken as actual 100% fact. Any donkey could edit it at any time. If I'm reading you the artist's bio, that stuff is real true. The Cranberries were an Irish rock band formed in Limerick, Ireland. Originally named The Cranberry Saw Us, the band were formed in 1989 by lead singer Niall Quinn, guitarist Noel Hogan, bassist Mike Hogan, and drummer Fergal Lauer. Quinn was replaced as lead singer by Dolores O'Riordan in 1990, and they changed their name to The Cranberries. The band classified themselves as an alternative rock group, but incorporated aspects of indie rock, jangle pop, dream pop, folk rock, post-punk, and pop rock into their sound. The Cranberries rose to international fame in the 90s with their debut album, Everybody Else is Doing It, So Why Can't We?, which became a commercial success. Some of the band's hit singles include Dreams, Linger, Zombie, Salvation, and When You're Gone. Five of the band's albums reached the top 20 on the Billboard 200 chart, and eight of their singles reached the top 20 on the Modern Rock Tracks chart. In early 2009, after a six-year hiatus, the Cranberries reunited and began a North American tour, followed by shows in Latin America and Europe. The band's sixth studio album, Roses, was released in February 2012, and its seventh, Something Else, followed in 2017. On January 15th of 2018, O'Riordan was found dead of drowning in a London hotel room. In September 2018, Noel Hogan confirmed that the remaining members had chosen to disband after the release of their next album. The band released their final album, In the End, in April 2019 and disbanded shortly after. The Cranberries rank as one of the best-selling alternative acts of the 90s, having sold nearly 50 million albums worldwide. They have received an MTV Europe Music Award, a World Music Award, an international group nomination at the Brit Awards, a Juno nomination, a Juno Award win, an Ivor Novello Award for International Achievement, and a BMI Award with a special citation of achievement. In the end, earned them a Grammy nomination for Best Rock Album. With the video for their song Zombie, the Cranberries became the first Irish band to reach 1 billion views on YouTube. 
Welcome the host of History of the 90s podcast, Kathy Kanzora to Dope Nostalgia. All right. so where where are you in the world, Naomi? Out west? I am out west. I'm in Edmonton. Okay, cool. Yes. And you're in Ontario. That's cr- yeah, is that correct. Close to, yeah, close to Toronto and Mississauga. I find your career path from what I've read online, it's very inspiring, the journey oh. you've been on as a as a journalist. Um, yeah. So you you took journalism as well as became a new newscaster in the beginning of your career? Yes. So way back in the 80s, I graduated from a journalism program. And then my first job out of school was at a newsroom in Toronto as a newsroom assistant. So, you know, getting coffee and getting newspapers and helping the morning show, um, the newscasters and the rest of the morning show get everything that they needed and went from there, worked in radio for about 10 years after that. Wonderful. And how did you fall in love with the idea of podcasting and and start getting history of the 90s off the ground? Well, actually, I was a big listener of podcasts from, I think, almost not right from the, you know, the first first podcasts that were out there, but very close when I had there wasn't even an iPhone yet. I had my iPod and I would download podcasts onto it before I left for work. And I only had like three or four that I listened to because there just wasn't, you know, a big selection at the time. Yeah. So I would, you know, listen to them. And I love them from the start just because I love audio storytelling with a background in radio. That's just really what I kind of, um, you know, seem to like veer towards when I'm when I'm choosing, you know, what I'm going to be listening or watching or whatever. And um, so then after listening to it for a number of years, discovered at the same time that I had a bunch of old tapes and and notes and things from a a court case that I had covered in the 90s. And I thought, wow, like this would make a great podcast if I used all this old audio to make a podcast. And then I thought, oh, maybe I should make a podcast because I up till then hadn't really thought about it. But then I thought with this, you know, this great audio that I had stored away at home, just sitting there collecting dust, I thought this is going to make a great podcast. And then just, you know, did what a lot of new podcasters do watch YouTube videos and read and figure out how to do it on your own and just went from there. Wonderful. Okay. Because one thing I admire when I listen to your show is the fact that you can deliver such a riveting story and hold everyone's interest. And it's just you hosting Mm -hmm. the show. You don't have to rely on a co-host or back and forth banter, which is what I do. Right. (laughs) So I find that a very very cool talent to have oh well thank you I I feel the same way about people who are just you know talking back and forth it's there's definitely pluses to both formats I like both Mm. of them I listen to both kinds of podcasts and Mm. when you have two people that work really well together it's amazing that you know listening to because you feel like you're in the room with them but then also narrated and documentary style are also riveting especially I just finished listening to one it's called the Havana Syndrome and it's made by Vice Media. And the audio production in it was so amazing. Like they, it, I was listening always in my headphones, but I would turn and I'd look and I'd go, did you just hear that noise? Like, and then I realized, oh, it's in my headphones because they were just dropping like these sound effects, like really far back. And, you know, it just, it just, it blew me away how good it was. So when you get wow. into that kind of audio production in a documentary style podcast it blows me away or even like radio lab or something like that where they 
they play with sound and they play with techniques and it's it's really quite an amazing format regardless of whether you do you know documentary style or you know I always call it like the back and forth the talking podcast I love both of them they're all great Mm -hmm. and what fascinates you most about the 90s why this decade Mm. obviously it fascinates me for the type of show I do too but why, why why is it that way for you Well, for me, it's, um, you know, personally, that's when I first became a reporter. And that's when I was, you know, really immersed in news for the full decade from 1990 to, you know, right to 2000, covering local news in Toronto, Ontario news, but, you know, also um, travel to LA to cover the end of the OJ Simpson trial. And so it just, it felt like so much was going on in the world at that time, which it was, it really was an amazing time in terms of like, um, you know, just the development in technology, like worldwide web and, and, you know, switching from to over to CDs and, and DVDs and then MP3s. And it's just so much happened in such a short period of time, but also I find the news cycle was a lot short or sorry, it was a lot longer than the news cycles are really short now. So Mm -hmm. stories would stay in the news for such a long amount of time. Like OJ was, you know, two years, the story was in the news. It did play out that long, but that said, like nowadays things come and go in like two days because, you know, it's all over Twitter or whatever. And then it just gets exhausted and we move on to the next thing. So really it was just a different era but for me personally, because I was living through it and and a part of it, like I'm really fascinated to figure out like why things the way that were the way they were and to look back now and maybe close the circle on some of the stories that I either, you know, remember hearing about or covered and like, well, what happened to those people and what did mm-hmm. we learn from that horrible trial or whatever? So it's just it for me, it was a, a personal thing as a po- at first. And then it became more of a, I realized I wasn't alone. Like a lot of people lived through that era that want to know more about what happened to those people or to that story or whatever, because that's kind of what I'm trying to do with it. It's not just like I look at pop culture and, and, and stuff like that, too. But I do a lot of news focused stories or sports focused stories mm-hmm. that, um you know, that were big stories at the time that maybe no one remembers and tell you remind them and they go, Oh my God, I remember that one. <laughs> and so, and then, and then I have listeners too, that are younger that may have been too young or not even born in the nineties to remember those incidents. So, you know, I'm talking, I'm teaching them about history. So that's uh, sad in a way since it's our lives, but it's also fun to be able to, to help educate people on the things that may have happened before they were of age to, you know, r- realize what was going on. It's yeah, it's a good way to recall things and the details behind them. And it's also, I think, great for the younger generation to understand what happened. Yeah, um, definitely. I think one of my favorite episodes of recent that I because I listen to them all. I'm cleaning the house. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> they're, they're the perfect length, you know, just to be mm-hmm. doing like your housework and yep. driving to work. But yep. um, I think it's the Quebec referendum mm. because I remember it happening. I just don't remember any of the details. Right. And were you living in, out West at that time? Like, were you exactly. in Alberta? So it probably so didn't it, have the same effect out exactly, here that it did yeah. where you are. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and it, like, it's hard to emphasize how close the country was to separating. And it just seems so like, what? That can't be true. 
Like mm -hmm. that can't be true, but we, it really was. And hopefully through that episode, you know, I was able to sort of paint the picture of what it was like mm -hmm. and um, just how consumed in Ontario, especially Quebec, obviously, but maybe Ontario was more consumed than the rest of the country because of our proximity and, and, you know, Ottawa being in Ontario and that sort of thing. But um, it just seemed like, you know, a different era. And I just, the thing I remember the most about it is like everywhere you went, people were singing the national anthem and wa waving flags, which now has a different meaning. It's, it's straight. It, it's funny how like it was, yeah. it, it was a totally different time. <laughs> it sure was. Yeah. Um, when you put the show together, do you write the episodes and then do you have a team around you that produces it and gets it out? Yes. So I, um, I do, I work from home. We, before COVID, I would go into the studio in Toronto to record at Chorus. They have a great studio um, where they have a couple of radio stations and TV stations and whatnot, but uh, COVID, you know, nicks that. And so I set up a studio at home. And so now I write everything. I do interviews at home with people who I think would be good on the show um, and then um, record it and send it all to um, my audio producer, Rob Johnston, who, you know, looks at it, puts it together, adds the music, puts in the clips and different things. But before that, I should back up. Dila is um, my producer. So she'll look at the script that I write and, and try to make sure everything's flowing and, and you know, makes any suggestions on, on um, maybe adding things that I've forgotten about. So we're definitely a team. And then uh, Rob does his magic, sends it back to me. I have a listen, make sure everything sounds good. And then and they distribute it for me. Chorus does every other Wednesday. So we, um, it's a partnership between the two of us, Chorus and myself. So um, it works, it works great. Yeah, no, I, I like the whole flow of it. It's great. And I think doing every two weeks is probably just, you know, Perfect. I'm thinking I'm going to every two weeks because I've been every week for three years. Mm, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. lot. I'm sure you're finding it's a lot because the two weeks become even, a lot. Yeah, the two weeks even can be a lot when you're doing other things, as I'm sure you are. In addition to podcasting, it's not the only thing that I do. So it, um, yeah. it you know, if I had unlimited time, then maybe I could. <laughs> I have I hear to you. have to live life a little bit too. I'm always curious to know what kind of gear you're using. I wanted to know what kind of microphone that is. Okay. So it is a focus, right? Okay. Um, Scarlet studio. And I only got it because my excellent audio producer, Rob, I said, Rob, I need a new mic for home. Tell me what to do. So yeah. he just sent me a link and I got the whole package. So it's the, the little, what do you call this? Your little condenser and headphones mm. and mic. So they're in my office so when I'm doing interviews, this is what I use. But then I go down into the basement. I have a little sort of soundproof room set up with, and I'm just using my Yeti mic still on my laptop that uh, to record the audio for the episode in a room. It's like where we have our um, fuse box, you know, like a little tiny room. I put foam and pillows yeah. everywhere. So it's nice and uh, sound proof and uh before that i literally was in my closet recording my episodes I, I hear a lot of other um you know uh podcasters saying that they're in their closet but it's it, it really is the best place to record if you're doing like a not a you know you know you don't want to have two people sitting in the closet but if you're just doing like a documentary <laughs> style it's good because you got the clothes in there bouncing off you but mm -hmm. i i started to like go oh my god i can't do this anymore i cannot sit in my closet so much <laughs> make it a I need a nicer. window I know I just it was something about it wasn't driving me crazy so now I'm in 
I have like a little desk and chair down in there and foam everywhere. And it's quite, feels quite civilized. Oh, good. Good. Yes. That'd be yep. cozy, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what kind of advice do you have for new podcasters getting in the door since there's thousands, hundreds mm. of thousands of podcasts at this point? So if you want to, you know, get noticed or, you know, cause it all depends. Like some people are doing it as a legit passion project and they're having fun and they don't, you know, it's not about necessarily growing the show and making money out of it. So, but if you do want to get noticed and maybe, you know, be able to sell advertising or whatever, I just found the best thing to do was to connect with other podcasters who have similar um, podcasts and to share, um, you know, promos with each other. They mention you, yes. you mention them. That is it really. And I've heard other people say it. I, I was listening to a podcast when they're from Gimlet Media and they were talking about the best way to grow new shows was to drop a podcast in your feed even like, so what we do at chorus is we'll often, um, another podcast will, uh, they, they, they pay for it. They pay to drop it in your feed to promote a new show. Cause they know I have X amount of listeners and they want to, they want to bring this new listeners to their show. And so mm -hmm. we say, you know, um, Hey, I've got a podcast that I think you might like, it's called blah, 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 blah. And then we play a little bit of the podcast or we play the whole podcast and it introduces them to new listeners, but you don't even have to go that far. You can just, because in the beginning, that's what I did with a, the, um, Christy Lee, who hosts the Canadian true crime podcast. She and I both started around the same time. And we were both talking about Paul Bernardo. It was really strange that we, we were like, Oh, okay, we should, you know, let's help each other out and promoted each other's podcasts and her show like exploded in popularity and I just was lucky because, you know, we, I had tagged along with her there. So I got a lot of her listeners came over and checked out my podcast and, and it nice. really worked out. Yeah. Nice. I, yeah, I'm glad you said that because I know that there's certain podcasters that we've, I've had as guests mm -hmm. and then I I tell them, send me a trailer and every yep. so often I'm going to run it on the show. For sure. Yep. It's, yeah. it's the, it's the best way to do it. And, uh, it, you know, it helps everybody. Yeah. So it's, it's really good if you, you know, reach out to someone you think is doing something similar. It's a great, great way to spread the word about your show. Well, good. I'm glad I'm, I'm on a good path. I think. Yeah. <laughs> you're doing the right thing. After these messages, we'll be right back. Dope Nostalgia listeners, I love you and I thank you so much for being a part of this show and its success over the last two years. We have what's called Patreon for those who want to support the show financially. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a subscriber and get bonus content, early podcast release, all kinds of cool behind the scenes stuff, and more. There's different tiers of membership starting at only $1 a month. And we even have some special merch for you guys who are in it for the long run. So please join our Patreon. It's at www.patreon.com forward slash dope nostalgia. Want to understand the world we live in today? Just go back 30 years to the 1990s. Nearly every aspect of society underwent major changes in the 90s that are still being felt today. Some things weren't so great. Hairstyles, trash TV, and baggy pants. But you know what was great? The music, the movies, TV, and changes in technology that were nothing short of revolutionary. 
I'm Kathy Kinzora, and on each episode of my podcast, History of the 90s, I look back at important news events and pop culture trends from the decade. So you can not only understand what happened, but also learn how it impacts you today. Everything from the end of communism and apartheid to supermodels and Super Nintendo. If it happened in the 90s, you'll hear about it on History of the 90s. What's for lunch? It's Hungry Hungry Hippos! Hungry Hungry Hippos! Hungry Hungry Hippos! First to gobble up the most marbles wins! We're Hungry Hungry Hippos! We're in an eating race! talk about 90s music of course um we always pick an artist that we want to discuss mm-hmm. for each episode and you mentioned the cranberries mm-hmm. so it's and and how fitting since it's you know recently been saint patty's i've been singing their songs lately <laughs> oh that's cool you know um why the cranberries for you well i you know they were one of my faves in the 90s for sure and, um, you know, this is the era of CDs. So I had their first three CDs that were in my CD player in my apartment on repeat that them and Alanis Morissette and Weezer seemed to be and Counting Crows. Those were the big ones for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and but Cranberries, I still, you know, sometimes a band comes and goes and you're like you like them, then then you kind of lose interest in them. But for me, Cranberries, like I think I kind of lost interest with them. But then. A number of years ago, I put the CDs back on and I was like, they're just as good as they were in the 90s, if not better to me now. Like I just, Mm. I've never lost interest in how wonderful Dolores O'Riordan's voice is and the combination Mm. with some of the the music, like the drums and the guitar, like they're amazing because her voice, you know, juxtaposition to this like guitar and the the one of the best drummers I've you know heard in any band that it, it just to me always blows me away whenever I listen to the Cranberries. Mm. The unique qualities of her voice that mm-hmm. set her apart from others. I mean, there was moments where she almost had a yodel. Yes, definitely. I would call it a yodel. Yeah. And yeah. I how I describe it to her voice to me sounds like an instrument. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like someone's singing voice. It sound feels and sounds like an instrument that she's using. Mm. And um, I introduced, I have two daughters and I introduced my older daughter to Cranberries and when she was in high school and she loves them. And that's exactly what she said too, when she heard her voice and it, it is, it's amazing. It's like haunting. It's, it's um, got this, you know, incredible sort of like traditional Irish sound to it as well. And I think mm. that's what um, is kind of cool is that you can really hear her Irish accent and, I just love that sound. I think it sounds really cool. 
it's cool that you can hear the accent in in the yeah. music because a lot of times with singing you can't hear an accent at all yeah yeah <laughs> you know exactly it's like no, a universal it. language yep definitely yeah. and the original name of the band was the cranberry saw us you know it took me a long time to figure out that it was cram like that they were like oh a funny pun and i'm like what's the pun i don't get it but cranberry get it. sauce Oh my goodness. Saw really? us, like crap. Yeah, I literally a light bulb went on not long ago because I was like, I don't get this pun. It's not funny and it doesn't make any sense to me. Cranberry sauce. It's a good dad sauce. joke. Maybe if you say it with an Irish accent, it sounds more like cranberry sauce. Yeah, I bet. I anyway, Something I'm glad like they switched it to the cranberries. Um, what I understand is too, for a long time, she actually lived in Ontario. Yes. And in Buckhorn, Ontario, which my dear Aunt Marion lives in Buckhorn. And I had no idea that's where Dolores was living with her family for the longest time. It's very mm -hmm. close. It's probably max two hours from where I'm living now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she just lived a pretty normal yeah. family life in Ontario because her husband who was the former manager for Duran Duran. I guess the Cranberries were on tour with Duran Duran mm -hmm. and she met their manager. He was a little bit older and uh, Canadian and they fell in love, got married and and had a home. They would go back and forth and eventually um, settled in Canada and raised their three kids there until unfortunately they split up a few years before she passed. Yeah. 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 Uh, then I think she was kind of back and forth between Ireland and the States mm -hmm just yeah. kind of bouncing around at that time yeah yeah now I understand during the later part of her life too she was carving out time to add her vocals to the new version of zombie by metal band bad wolves which is quite became quite popular right but she was actually intending on, on being on the track she was she had a bunch of things it seemed like on the go she was working with another band as well um dark or d-a-r-k and oh, yeah. i think the bassist um from the smiths was in that band as well and she was kind of doing a little bit of everything she was writing songs for the cranberries i don't know if they were officially broken up they mm -hmm. seem to like get back together every once in a while and do things together but so yeah and she she definitely was um you know had not given up on her career that's for sure she was uh quite busy and I mean, things were tumultuous for her and yeah, they have been uh, throughout her career because uh, I think she had a hard time dealing with her success. Yeah. Doesn't it seem like a lot of the stars of the 90s? That was that was the thing they you know, mm -hmm. they really struggled, obviously, uh, talking about Kurt Cobain and many others um, mm -hmm. really struggled with this newfound success. But I the thing that I read that she um, I guess they were on tour and she was such an intense performer on stage that um, it was exhausting for her. Mm. And, you know, if you see her, she's tiny too, right? So it was just physically draining for her. So they were on tour. They had to cancel some dates because she was so tired. And she went back to Ireland. And then, you know, the equivalent of paparazzi or paparazzi were taking pictures of her because she went out to get some groceries shopping whatever and then they were like oh sure she's not even sick kind of thing um here she is canceled shows she's too good for us that you know she just can't be bothered and that really i think turned her like kind of a, not against the media but she really 
struggled with her relationship with the media at that point and the and I believe one of the songs free to decide is about that whole Mm. episode which is funny because I always thought that was about abortion like I just assumed oh they're they're from Ireland and they want to free to decide about abortion (laughs) I just totally made that assumption but it was actually free to decide what we want to do like you can't tell us what to do and we're going to do what we want to do. You know, I think it was directed more at the media and, and sort of them talking about them. And they were constantly saying that the band was on the verge of splitting up mm-hmm. because um, there was no indication other than the fact that she was so good that everyone assumed, oh, okay, she's going to go solo. Not thinking that the other guys in the band played a part, but they did. I mean, like I said, the drums are amazing. Guitar, amazing. And I think a lot of the songs... It's Noel Hogan as the guitarist. He, I think a lot of the songs were co-written together. Like she was, you know, doing lyrics and melody, but he would, he would come up with the chords and, you know, it was, it was, a, they were a band. It wasn't a case of her wanting to go solo, but there was always that like speculation and rumor that they're on the verge of breaking up. And that would just get so tiring if, you know, you're dealing with all the other things. I feel like the only reason really to go solo in those types of situations is because obviously creative control Mm-hmm. You want to try a new genre, maybe, mm. you know, or you have things you want to say that the rest of the band doesn't want to say. Yeah, like that's really like I could see being a reason. But um, yeah, I, I feel like we learned nothing or the media learned hardly anything from the death of Princess Diana. True. about how, how to leave people alone. And then they put you in this position to handle all this success with no support system. Right. One hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really, you know, things have definitely changed um, with singers and bands, you know, a lot more self-care going on these days than there, than there was in the nineties. And um, they, they were just left on their own. They really were. And uh, it's, it's, I can't even imagine how hard it would be to, to deal with that. Cause they were saying that Dolores was so shy initially that she would sometimes sing with her back to the stage or to the audience, I should say, because Mm -hmm. she was too, you know, too shy to really to face them. So that was the only way she could get out there. I think she got over that. She was quite a performer, but, you know, I think she's not like, you know, her natural state is probably, and what do you say? An introverted extrovert? No, extroverted introvert. Yeah. She's probably an extroverted introvert, probably exhausting for her. That is stressful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. What are some of the favorite tracks that they put out? Do you do you like some of the deep cuts, the album tracks? I'd love yes. to share a clip. Okay. Of, yeah. Well, my all first of all, I'll say my my favorite album is the third album, the to the Faithful Departed. And mm. there's a few songs on there that um weren't singles, like um Oh, I'm bad at remembering names, but I wrote them down because I knew I would forget them. But (laughs) on uh, Forever Yellow Skies, Mm -hmm. my absolute favorite. That's my number one favorite of all their songs. Um, I'll definitely play a clip of that one. Okay. And and the drums at the end will slay you.
Um, I'm still remembering. And uh, she talks about Kurt Cobain in that song. Mm. Um, Where are you now? She says, um, yeah, it's just so amazing. But the uh, there was a, on that album, one of the singles is When You're Gone. Uh, and to me, like listening to that song makes me want to cry because, you know, it makes me think of her and my dad passed away around the same time that she did. So I, I, you know, I kind of lumped the two of them together. And when I listen to that song, it, it just it breaks my heart. It's such a sad song. But um, Ridiculous Thoughts from the second album, No Need to Argue. Love that one. Oh, and No Need to Argue. It's like a acapella version at the end of the album mm. and sounds like there's maybe a little bit of a church organ at in like kind of just like the the low hum of a church organ and it just her voice it's so good okay so that's mine let me hear yours good good you know i'm not that i'm not i hate to say this but i'm not that knowledgeable about their deep tracks mm. i will say one of the songs that really and i have always enjoyed was salvation mm-hmm. um because it's her, a bit more of a banger <laughs> it's a banger and she sounds really angry i'm yeah. gonna be honest though i don't i'm not a fan of the lyrics on that one i find they're a little weak like it's, mm. I don't know, sometimes, but to be honest, I love, I love Cranberries. I love all their music, but I would say sometimes the lyrics aren't the strong suit. It's, it's her mm. voice and the way yeah. she, like it's, there's a lot of re- repetitive words and sounds, but I mean, th- it's still amazing. I, when I listen to music, when I take it in, I tend to just be more about the music. Sometimes I don't even think about the lyrical content. Yeah. yeah. It's an afterthought for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But one song, I'm a karaoke host as well. So there's certain cool. songs that get played and overplayed oh, and oversang. Zombie what do you, is definitely really? one of those. Yes. Yeah. And, but it, I can watch, I watched the video of it recently and it still gives me goosebumps. Like as mm-hmm. much as it's overplayed, obviously it's their, you know, their biggest hit. And, but when I listen to her yodel sounds that she makes and that, it can give me goosebumps for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then there's, then she has so many sweet, sweet sort of lo- longing love songs that are just, they're so beautiful. But then, mm-hmm. like you said, then some bangers. And I guess, <laughs> um, you know, they did, I, I feel like their music did get a little heavier as it went along, but not everything. Like they, mm-hmm. they had a real mix, like all, all their albums had a real mix. I like that. I like having something different tempo wise throughout. Yeah. <laughs> Mix and they were called alt rock at the time, right? And I don't know, would you call it alt rock still? Do you think? It That's feels a like a good question. Yeah, like it feels like it's in its own genre. Like I don't know how to even describe it. What was alt rock then is almost like an easy listening now in I, some ways. Well, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Depending. Like it's not it's not all it's not the same today, but I don't mm-hmm. know. We have a in Toronto, we have the edge 88.1 or something. It's 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 uh kind of like the in or in whatever like so they would play it on their station for sure that's, probably that's like, your alternative station basically the edge yeah not the edge no indy 88 sorry there's an oh. indy 88 and the edge we used to always growing up here we only had one cfmy but now yeah. it's called the edge and then indy 88 is a fairly new one and they both would play cranberries and i feel now like our our alternative station in edmonton is called sonic Mm. I can't really picture them playing cranberries. I can picture oh, cranberries no on almost any other station. Like even the yeah, like even the top 40 stations, I could see them throwing in or some throwbacks, you know? Yeah, like, for uh, sure. 
It's almost it, classic rock now, right? It is. <laughs> That's one of the hardest things to hear. It's when some of your bands you grew up on are now like I Bon know. Jovi is classic rock now. Yeah. Yeah. Def- oh, 100%. Def Leppard yep. is classic rock now. And I'm just yep. like, what? Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's inevitable. Yep. And then, so what is the classic rock? Like Led Zeppelin, what is it now? Classic, classic rock? <laughs> Maybe it's just, there's just one category and you hit a certain yeah. year point and then that's yeah. it. 30 years ago? Old, oldies? <laughs> yep. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so to, what else would you like to cover about cranberries in, in mm. general? I went through some of my notes already for, for that. I'm sure um. that... If you had some notes there that we could bring up. Yeah, no, I, um, you know, just some of the songs when I was going through them before we chatted and um, the, mm. uh, the back to the lyrics, like she, the one when you're gone, I love that song. It's so sweet, but sad. But then again, the lyrics, I'm like, mm, she says something like everything's stinking. That's one of the lines, everything's stinking like trying to describe it's all bad and I'm just like I don't know that how does that 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 doesn't work for me everything's stinking but anyway so that's my point on the grammatically doesn't flow quite no as as nice as it should (laughs) but then on forever yellow skies I love that one because she she says over and over I'm forever holding you forever Mm -hmm. holding you and you think oh it's a love song right she's forever holding this person and then she finally says I'm forever holding you responsible so for like being an asshole or whatever right (laughs) like for screwing things up and wrecking the relationship so you think up until that point there's a little twist in the in the lyrics that oh this isn't a love song she's mad at him okay I love that one so she does very cool play on words yeah, yeah it is very cool it is very cool but, um, you know, she was kind of, lo- or they were cranberries lumped in with, um, there was a little bit of an Irish uh, explosion happening in the 90s, for sure. And, you know, initially, she was compared to Sinead O'Connor all the mm. time, right? And fairly, I mean, they're both from Ireland, they both had mm. short or no hair, and they <laughs> both had amazing voices that were like an instrument, in my opinion, like that they could sing acapella and carry a stadium right so Mm -hmm. but very different but then in the end you know Dolores was struggling with a lot of the things that um, Sinead has been struggling with so maybe not so different after all but I think she you know really was did not appreciate constantly being compared to Sinead and Mm -hmm. also um you know uh at the time looking back if you look back at any old articles often refer to you too saying they're you know, cranberries are the hottest thing since you two coming out of Ireland. So, you know, it's hard when you're you're from a small country when I guess everyone's expecting you to be like what's come before you. Right. You want to just carve your own path, right? So where comparisons um, are unnecessary, just yeah, exactly. They're thing. just yeah, they're just the cranberries. But also um keep in mind too, like in that era, after Nirvana, there was like record companies were spending so much money to get the next alt rock superstar so Mm. they were they were scooping up every artist they could and you know even in in north america but in england and ireland and they you know they were a great band the cranberries but they benefited from that as well like uh the record executives came from london to limerick in ireland which is not like 
a place they would normally go like and and basically had a bidding war trying to sign them to and they ended up signing with island records mm. so it it was such a different era for for alt rockers and alt musicians and what was the other thing cool thing that i i did read about them that oh um zombie the i guess island records did not want them to release that as a single really it's it and it's 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 political it's about um a bombing an ira bombing that injured or killed a child in because the the troubles were happening in ireland at this time still so Mm. and when you grow up in ireland this is going to be like you too as well wrote about it a lot so of course you would want to write about it but island records did not want them to release it as a single and it came down to, I guess, Dolores having to say, you know, we're doing this regardless. And and there's like some urban legend that she said she would rip up. They offered a million dollars or she had a million dollar check from Island Records. And she said she would rip it up if they didn't let her put it as this the first single off the album, mm. whether that's true or not. But it shows you to the extent that she was adamant that that song be released as a single because it meant a lot to her. That's just incredible. I don't even know what to say to that because it's true. Like that's a very important story to get across. Yeah. I, I, I'm sad that they tried to like mute her. Yeah, no, for sure. Because, um, which is surprising to me in a way, because Island records, if I'm not mistaken, are they not like Bob Marley's like the, the record company that signed Bob Marley? I think so. I know they ended up, Sorry, they ended up combining with Island Def Jam, at least in the U.S. So right. now it's a bigger conglomerate. Yeah, and and I believe uh, U2 was initially signed to Island. So, like, I mean, they had a history of probably being, you know, having singers and, and bands that were political or, you know, had points of view. But I, I can only mm-hmm. imagine it was maybe it's because she was a woman and it was a f- woman singer. I don't know. Who knows? Right. I don't know. I'd have to look into that more because... Uh, it is surprising. Funny enough, you say that too, because we're talking about the time and how they were looking for a certain like alternative star. I kind of wonder if that affected off topic Alanis Morissette's mm. rise when it happened. Timing. Yeah, Timing. I would think so. I would think so. It was it was the era of alt rockers, but it was also the era of female artists. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, in Canada and beyond, it really was an amazing time. Um, so, yes, it definitely would have got her on the radar. But I just think she was too undeniably good to, you know, not become a superstar. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. And I was a big fan of, like, Pop Alanis. You were. Well, I have to admit, I did not know Alanis Morissette until Jagged Little Pill. So I I didn't know the whole pop era probably a little older than you so I might have missed that and I didn't watch the show she was on briefly the Ottawa um variety show what's this called I can't remember you can't do that on television you can't do that on television yeah so I I didn't know any of that until you know Jagged Little Pill came out and then I was quite obsessed with her and her music so you know found things out but I don't always wonder how did we find things out Mm -hmm. back in the 90s before we all had easy (laughs) access to (laughs) <laughs> to, I know. Uh, the internet like I I grew up like loving certain bands didn't know anything about them like I learned stuff now about them because mm-hmm. back then you'd have to buy Rolling Stone magazine couldn't afford mm-hmm. it 
or wait for a DJ on the radio to say some interesting tidbit about the band. And those are like basically the only ways you could learn things. And then videos started on television. So maybe some, oh my God, pop-up video was like having yeah. an encyclopedia was the best because suddenly you're learning all these things about, you just didn't know anything. There was maybe People Magazine, if you had that, you could maybe see some pictures of people. But Waiting it was just for so... the monthly magazines to come out. Yeah. And did you watch any of the shows like Video Hits, Good Rockin' Tonight? Oh my God, um, yes. I had Sue Jeffries in... on the show and we t- we, we oh, did you? the whole Good Rockin' Tonight thing and it was amazing, yeah. Because there was one um, Toronto Rocks and it was um, J.D. Roberts. That's it, That's J.D. It. Roberts. Yes. There was John Major came after J.D. Roberts, but they hosted a show called Toronto Rocks and it was at like four o'clock after school, half an hour, hour, I can't remember, but everyone would literally run home so you could catch the latest, see what the latest videos were. Mm-hmm. And the new music on Much Music or on City TV um, in Toronto was called The New Music. And it was mm-hmm. such a cool show. And Jeannie Becker and J.D. Roberts hosted that. Loved mm-hmm. every single one of those shows, like just ate it up, L- loved it. Couldn't get enough of it. When we finally got cable, <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I glued to Much Music. Glued to oh, it yeah. all the yeah. time. Yeah. Like, I got all my info there so. yeah I mean because before that we really like like you said you'd be waiting for your monthly magazine or I'd find like a I really did like Led Zeppelin when I was in high school and mm-hmm. like I think I found a book like somewhere like the biography of Led Zeppelin and and I, I remember getting one about the doors too and like just like oh my god learning all this stuff about them because it just you were starved for information like you would read the liner notes you know or mm-hmm. the lyrics just to see if there was any messages or <laughs> and and your information your information was more reliable because the sources were more reliable but the only thing you really had to worry about was whatever the inquirer or the star said don't believe it (laughs) true yeah that was a hard lesson you had to learn that pretty quickly yeah definitely well thank you so much kathy it's been a pleasure talking to you learning about very nice to chat with you Social media, yeah, we've got it. Send us an email, dopenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. Twitter, Nostalgia Dope. Or on Insta, dope underscore nostalgia. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.